Welcome to the Why on Earth Community Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron William Perry, and today we're visiting with Jorge Fontanez, the CEO of B Lab US and Canada. Jorge, how are you doing? It's so great to be with you. Hi, Aaron. I'm doing well. Thank you. Good to be with you. Yeah, we're uh, really looking forward to having you on the show and, and having the opportunity to speak with you about all of the amazing work you and your colleagues and thousands of companies are engaged in right now. I'm excited to be on your podcast, Aaron. It's been some time. I know we've been talking about it. So uh, yeah, I'm just glad to be here. You've had some amazing conversations to date. I'm glad to just be one of many. Super, super. Jorge Fontanez is the Chief Executive Officer at B-Lab US and Canada a global partner of the nonprofit B-Lab, commonly known for certifying for-profit companies trademarked as B-Corps, who as a community are mobilizing to change the economic system to benefit all people and the planet. He also founded Marcus Studio in 2015, a brand and marketing strategy consultancy, serving for-profit social enterprises and nonprofits. Jorge is a First Mover Fellow of the Business and Society Program at the Aspen Institute. He brings the mindset of an entrepreneur to his work, having dedicated his private sector career focused on stakeholder engagement at the intersection of marketing, technology, and sustainability. His perspective on business as a driver for social change was formed by his experiences in leadership roles at Alcoa, Colgate-Palmolive, and J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. Jorge received his MBA from Stern and a BSE from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. And Jorge, just because I don't know off the top of my head, and I imagine a few of our listeners may not, can you tell us what is BSE? What does that stand for? Bachelor of Science in Economics. Great, okay. Very cool. Well, and, and so clearly, while you have deep expertise in the realm of marketing, which I often like to think of as storytelling, uh, you're also deep in the sort of hard disciplines we associate with business and economics. And um, I, I want to kick things off by just asking you to tell us about what is this what is this B Lab B Corp thing? I, I know many of our audience are, are familiar, but but I imagine there's some folks out there maybe not quite as as familiar as hopefully they will be after our conversation today. Well, thanks, Aaron, again uh, for having me. You, you started off quite well explaining, uh, making a really important distinction, which is B Lab is the nonprofit engine behind the certification uh, that's most well known called uh, B Corp certification. And um, so, as an organization, we're part of a global network. B-Lab US and Canada, which is the organization that I lead, is one of seven sister organizations. And our vision and strategy are shared around the world. And it's, it's one common vision, which is to create an economic system that benefits everyone as well as the planet. Our vision of the future is to create that system, which is inclusive, equitable, and regenerative. 
And we can celebrate today, actually, that in the U.S., but also in other regions of the world, like in the U.K., we're seeing peak awareness levels of the B Corp certification trademark after 17 years. In the U.S., 61% of Gen Zs know what B Corp is. They, they recognize the trademark. And over 50% of adults are also aware of the B Corp trademark. The B in B Corp stands for benefit. Uh, some people joke, you know, well, why, why not an A Corp versus a B Corp? <laughs> so hopefully that simple definition, uh, definition explains, explains why. We are also celebrating a milestone because we have 7,000 and growing B Corps globally. We happen to be one of the largest B Corp communities on the planet, which includes the U.S., Canada, and now Puerto Rico, where I'm just returning from. And we have some exciting news of what's happening on the ground there. What I want to say also about B Corp certification is that it's not just a badge of sustainability. It's important to distinguish B Corp certification from other frameworks that are associated in the ecosystem of environmental social governance that happen to be more about disclosure than about performance. And that's probably where I'll land it, as since you just asked one question about who we are. Um, but it's an important conversation that I, I hope we'll get into about how B Corps are modeling change and also our proof points of how business can do better uh, and also be profitable at the same time. I uh love also the 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 connection between the letter b for b corp and the statement that there is no planet b mm. and it's it's very interesting we're going to talk a bit about this today the uh so, some of the 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 blowback and the strange i would say strange uh cultural uh resistance and animosity toward these efforts to work in the interest and service to humanity and to our planet that we all share. Um, but I, I, before getting into that and, and recognizing there is no planet B, uh, I want to kind of drill down into the rigor of the certification process. I was um, part of a team that took a company through the certification process about a decade ago, right? So I know it's probably evolved quite a bit since then. but. But even then, the, the rigor was so uh, profound and made us that much more proud of the accomplishment of getting that company certified. Could you just walk us through what these various thousands of companies have to go through and, and basically what they're committing to and yeah. demonstrating performance around in order to have the certification? Yeah, so 10 years ago is an interesting, uh, it's interesting just to kind of focus on how much the organization and the standards have changed in just a decade. Uh, I'll start by saying that we're on the seventh version of our standards and we're already working on uh, the next, what we call the evolution of our standards, which will be quite different than the standard framework that we've been operating under uh, for the last two decades, essentially. 
And so, and also we spent the last decade not only instituting a framework within companies to change organizational practice worldwide, but we also established what's called the legal requirement. Uh, that shows up in the form of public benefit corporation, which is a corporate alternative to a C-Corp or an S-Corp in which B Corps today are actually required either to become a public benefit, become a public benefit corporation or an equivalent by amending their charter, depending on the jurisdiction. And we've spent the last decade now getting legislation passed in over 40 states and in countries around the world in order to ensure that boards and managers of companies uh, must make decisions in alignment with stakeholders. Often we hear the conversation in business be about moving away from shareholder primacy to what we call a stakeholder-driven economy. And in that vein, um, that is what a public benefit corporation uh, option does, is it embeds the mission, the commitment that businesses must have to make decisions to benefit those stakeholders. I'm going to use that framework to also explain the certification. So the certification uh, or the framework of B Corp uh, certification is set up with five stakeholders in mind. That's employees, customers, shareholders as well, but also suppliers and the planet. And those five areas are what effectively uh, make up the framework for B Corp certification. There are over 200 questions in the assessment. It's available for free. It's an open source tool. And what's also fascinating to learn when you think about the kinds of questions that are asked in this assessment is that you know, I mentioned there were 7,000 B Corps on the, on the planet, but actually over 250,000 companies around the world have accessed what we call the B Impact Assessment, the BIA, which houses these questions. And so that's what it's about. Um, it, is a, it is a tool, effectively, for companies to assess themselves in terms of the impact that they have on those five stakeholders that I just mentioned. And the additional commitment is that B Corps, because they have to recertify every three years, they are continuously improving. So our standards change, our requirements uh, also increase. And by nature of that, we also expect that B Corps are improving their impact across those stakeholders. You know, it's so exciting and, and I love uh, thinking about uh, geeking out a little bit on the the, yeah. the economics and, and sort of the business management, business practices side of this. Yeah. You know, I think probably a good number of folks out there have the impression that when companies make these sorts of commitments and, and expand their stakeholder base to include many others well beyond the shareholder capital class, I think there's probably an assumption that in, in a lot of cases, that means profitability is reduced. Right. 
And I know I don't have any specific uh, recent studies or data off off the top of my head here, but I know that there is a whole lot of data indicating that companies making these commitments actually tend to perform better financially. And I'm wondering if you can speak to that a bit and, and, and help us kind of unpack that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think the one stakeholder that's most relevant, I mean, all the stakeholders are relevant. So let me, let me just be clear, but, but employees, you know, the, the, um, the people that run our organizations are our biggest asset today in today's economy, when investors evaluate or value a company on you know on wall street when you think about publicly traded companies what you you what you'll find is that 80% of the valuation of a company is all caught up in intangibles and that includes the very people that those companies employ and so right now i think a way in to this conversation that is highly relevant for any CEO today is how this premise of addressing environmental social governance risks, but also value creating opportunities and benefits their employees. Let me give you an example. Um, so we have a small B Corp, smaller B Corp uh, in our community called Grayson Bakery. Um, working very closely with a much larger multinational company, Natura, that owns the body shop, a retailer. So just a bit of background, Grayson Bakery is known for its brownies. And uh, they are located in Yonkers, New York. And I've had a chance to, to visit their facility there. I, I live in New York City. I've, I've gotten uh, uh, opportunities to not only visit, but get to know their CEO, Joe Kenner. And what's really interesting about Grayston Bakery is a couple of things amongst many. Uh, one is their corporate structure. So they're actually owned by Grayston, the Grayston Foundation. Uh, and it's fa their founder, you know, was really driven by the commitment to create quality jobs and employment, particularly for formerly incarcerated people. That's still true as part of their mission today. And the way that they go about that has expanded. Um, the, the, the brownie business has allowed them to scale their impacts in a really interesting way. So they partner with other B Corps like Ben and Jerry's, uh, that supplies their brownies for one of their more, more popular flavors. And, and that's just the, you know, the fun facts, right? But the impact that they're having is they've been able to grow their employee base through an open hiring model. What that means is when Grayson has a job and they have someone that needs a job, they give that job to that person. The idea of open hiring in many ways is quite radical because it removes barriers of access to employment. It removes the need for background checks, for credit scores, for references that commonly create barriers for many marginalized communities, but in particular for those that are formerly incarcerated. So what have B Corps like The Body Shop learned from that process? What we have seen is that by adopting something like an open hiring practice for The Body Shop that looked like 
reducing the barriers, not eliminating them, but reducing the barriers, asking the question, how might we go about uh, offering, you know, an open, open hiring like program and what benefits would that create for us? And what they found is that not only were they able to eliminate credit scores and background checks in some instances, I mean, there's an application process and I don't have all the details, but what I know is that when they looked to eliminate as many barriers as they could, they actually increased loyalty amongst new hires and they reduced turnover. To me, this is a prime example of how better business practice leads to not only risk mitigation, but really value creation. And in this example, once again, we're seeing the impact look like things that are intangible. <laughs> the cost that I'm not incurring by having to hire, look, you know, look for other people that I, uh, for jobs that I have open or the, the intangible value of what it means to have loyal employees that are not looking for another job that then leads to efficiencies and new ideas. And, and so, you know, that's one of the, this is one of the stories that really continues to inspire me today about not only what an individual company can do to change its practice, but what we find in the B Corp community is companies coming together to learn from each other. And that's, that's really the beauty of what, what we've created here. Yeah, it's so it's so powerful. And, you know, one of the things that I um, ha having uh, run small businesses and, and, you know, gone through the pain of having to replace somebody after investing months and, and many dollars in uh, training and onboarding and so forth, um, this this attraction and retention of talent is so important. And I'm astonished that uh, there are so many folks out there in the business community who through th this blowback thing that we're seeing are essentially taking a stance that is uh, excluding entire sectors of not only the workforce, but also the consuming public. And it, it, it's, it, it surprises me just in terms of the near mid and long-term strategy of it all and and it brings to mind for me jorge not to get you know too far afield here from b labs current mission and everything you guys are working on right now today but it reminds me of uh being a student of history part of the reason that the fascist regimes in in europe ultimately lost from what i understand is that there were whole classes of people that were disenfranchised and obviously with the Holocaust and everything, incredibly horrific treatment, but ultimately because those people had safe havens in places like the United States where they could go to work uh, to defeat fascism, you know, that was one of the significant contributing factors in how that all unfolded some, whatever the count is now, 60, 70 years ago. And so I'm just I'm, I'm really curious thinking about right now today in our economy and our culture, this notion of competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm struck by how so some folks seem to be uh, making some decisions that are potentially cutting off 
incredible pools of, of talent, capability, loyalty, and so forth. And I'm, I'm curious if you could speak to that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to say something that I believe is true, which is while there's a lot of noise around, uh, you know, we'll, we'll frame it. You framed it a couple of times as like the backlash, uh, the backlash to ESG, what we see is growing sentiment uh, in opposition to ESG. You know, frankly, um, because of the urgency of what we feel in society today, you've said a couple of times as well, we have, there's no planet B, right? The urgency of climate change requires urgent action. I think a lot about, you know, we're still coming out of COVID and also what we saw happen in COVID led to a historic moment of innovation where companies and countries collaborated in ways that frankly, maybe they haven't since World War II. Mm. And, you know, there's so much that you're bringing up for me now, Aaron, because um, in my introduction, you you mentioned also the work of the Aspen Institute, and I am a fellow of the Business and Society Program, whose mission is really to look at that intersection. But it doesn't, um, uh, it's now what's coming up for me is that the Aspen Institute and its founding uh, was seeded by World War II, by um, individuals who were seeking refuge and found it in a really beautiful place that today continues to be a place where ideas can germinate and people can uh, be in dialogue and and even come forward with bigger ideas for the benefit of all people and the planet. So it's not lost on me right now as you talk about you know the history that we are and the work that we're doing is actually continuing from that labor coming off of Labor Day, right? <laughs> continuing from that labor um, that uh, is really intergenerational. And, and that's what our work is about too. Uh, we see ourselves as part of a, a, a continuum. Uh, and while B Corp certification absolutely has its benefits and it has its detractors, yeah. um, there are many other leaders and tools and uh, ideas and ideals that are held by so many more people than the ones that are creating the noise that believe that something better is possible. And in the business context, many more leaders, particularly CEOs are asking themselves, what is my role in this moment? And I think that despite the politicization that we might be seeing, more and more business leaders are actually showing up and answering the call. Oh, it's so encouraging. It, it, it's it's such a hopeful report to hear from you because I imagine where you sit, you, you've got this incredible purview into not only what's happening with those thousands of companies that are part of the certified community, but I'm astonished the stat you shared about the uh, 
250,000 companies who have accessed the BIA assessment. That is an extraordinary number of companies. And so I I imagine your purview is one where you're really seeing these, these dynamics and trends unfolding in real time. We are, we are. And, um, you know, ESG as a moniker, you know, just we haven't, I don't think we've defined it yet, Aaron. So E stands for environment. The S is for, you know, social uh, aspects uh, of of business, uh, of society that that impact business or that business should should be focused on. And then the G is for governance, right? The the laws under the policy under which business operates. And so, you know, I think that right now, um, you know, the 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 call to business leaders is um, to first and foremost mitigate risk, right? Whether you believe that climate change is real or whether you are experiencing intense heat in your community or something that feels nothing like it, um, if you talk to business leaders in certain sectors like insurance providers, I would say that absolutely they are look already revisiting their business models to adjust for the realities of what climate change has caused around the world. So I, I think that we're no longer talking about something that is actually all that intangible uh, because many of us are facing it day in and day out. And it's just a matter of like, how do we actually how do we deal with it um, and and how do we um, uh, appropriately pivot in some ways our business models, our supply chains, uh, and also uh, address the real concerns that employees and communities are raising so that we don't lose our competitive edge. Because if we do believe in the free marketplace, and I do, um, those companies are not going to win in the end. Yeah. I I absolutely love this thread in the conversation. And I've been, as you know, doing some writing lately around some of these topics. And one of the things I've focused in on quite a bit is this, this inflection point, this, from my perspective, this relatively rapid transformation in how competitive advantage is working and will be working in the near and midterm futures and my gosh right like b B lab is sort of right in the in the epicenter of that huge global uh transformation that's underway i mean we are and i would say we're also like you know one of many parts of an ecosystem you know i i don't want to uh exaggerate the 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 power of uh, what B Lab has created as a global network, but I do believe that, or we believe that we've reached a tipping point. You know, so what what I might talk about next is, you know, where do we go from here, right? So B the B Corp certification has been about changing individual corporate practice. We've now. Um, uh, managed to, you know, create a community of business leaders uh, that are already working to learn from one another, to adopt even better business practices. But the next step of this work is actually taking it outside um, to, to begin to find 
meaningful ways to redefine the role of business. Because I think that's what the cultural backlash, if we can kind of come back to that point, um, that's what it's about, right? Is like a fundamental disagreement in some ways about the role of business in society. And then, you know, so so that's, I think, where we are. Where we want to go is once we change the culture and the and the the mindset of like the role of business is actually changing the systems. But I think there's a real feeling of urgency that we can't wait for one thing to change and then do the next, but rather to try and do all these things at once. Um, and so, you know, for our for us, for B Lab, partnership is important. Um, I just came off of a webinar with uh, a few of our partners in this work, uh, which include the Sunrise Project that is helping us build partnerships and community. Uh, Ceres has been an amazing partner in our climate work. Um, and we've had thought leaders like um, Tynesia Boye Robinson, who's the CEO of CAPEQ, who's helping us navigate the landscape of diversity, equity, inclusion in this moment where in an anti-ESG, you know, sort of politicized environment, uh, we are also, you know, seeing the real concerns of companies uh, adopting adopting uh, an impact of what it means for companies to adopt DEI practices. Um, and this is also- That's diversity, equity, inclusion. Sorry, yes, diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, on the heels of some, you know, pretty significant case coming out of the Supreme Court overturning affirmative action in college admissions, which while doesn't seem related, affects the culture. Our belief that there are historical harms that have been done to um, marginalized populations, to black communities in particular, to indigenous communities in the US and Canada who have uh, real challenges in gaining access to opportunity. And so when a policy like affirmative action, as it has uh, become overturned, it weakens the fabric of the work that have been, has been done now for decades and threatens a lot of the initiatives that companies might be undertaking already. You know, I was, I was just uh, over the weekend on a hike with my dear friend, Dr. Jandel Allen Davis, who is one of the most extraordinary corporate leaders I know personally. And she's uh, an African-American medical doctor and CEO of one of the premier uh, brain injury and, and spinal trauma hospitals in the country. And she also happens to be on the uh, board of the Federal Reserve out of the Kansas City branch. And yeah, when this when this affirmative action decision came down, we actually were on the phone the day of and, and she was so upset and, and we have the kind of friendship where she'll share that with me and I with her if I'm upset about something. And it just I think what for me, one of the really important things understanding that in, in some of our neighborhoods and some of the communities we have in the United States here in particular. There is not very much diversity and it's, I think, easy for some folks to not really understand the, 
the real impacts on people's lives, on the lives of our brothers and sisters. And, you know, setting aside the competitive advantage argument for a moment, and, and I agree with you wholeheartedly that this is a weakening of our competitiveness overall as a nation. But just the, the human caring aspect of this, I believe, is really important to emphasize. And we actually had Jandell on the podcast twice. Once, you know, I was in suit and tie at her office interviewing her about service leadership in, the, in that corporate context. But the second was during COVID after the, the murder of George Floyd. And when that occurred, I didn't really know how to respond on behalf of our nonprofit, the Why on Earth community, other than to reach out to Jandell and ask her if she would want to talk about this in the context of a podcast episode. And it's such a beautiful episode because that emotionality of how we are treating each other on the planet, brothers and sisters, all of us of the human race, you know, really comes through. And I, I, I believe, and, and maybe I'm wrong about this, Jorge, maybe strategically there are other better ways to go about all of all of this work that we're engaged in. But for me personally, to to really have an opportunity to hear from folks most affected by policies that might otherwise you know not not seem much other than some sort of abstract economic or legal engineering or whatever uh i i'm struck that the the personal stories in all of this are actually really important that's my opinion i mean i think just like business this work is relational yeah. and what you're pointing out is that there is a moral imperative but I want to go beyond the moral sort of argument here, because what we are talking about is a planet with limited resources, period. Right. You talked uh, when you introduced me, you talked about the companies that I worked for. And one of those companies, Alcoa, looks very different today than when I was there. But Alcoa taught me one of the most important les lessons of my career, which is that an extractive industry, not just the company itself, but that an extractive industry must rethink its practices entirely because we operate in a world with limited resources. To me, that is the business case, right? Because to you know, in the in the words of Greta Thunberg, right? Um, uh, we must act with urgency. And oh gosh, Greta, I'm so sorry. I'm going to paraphrase you all wrong. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, I'm getting really excited here because I think what we are talking about is that we cannot continue to grow. That's what Greta said, right? We cannot continue to grow for growth's sake because this competitive advantage that we continue to have inspire our business models is rooted in the idea that certain companies get access to resources first and they control those resources. No one else gets them. And I hold on to those resources for as long as I can to maximize my profit. This is what needs to change because our planet will not survive business models that are extractive and exploitative. 
I'll get off of my, you know, excite, excited sort of platform here, but I think your audience will really resonate with, you know, that idea that um, business practice really needs to rethink its practice <laughs> um, and ensure that it's doing so in a regenerative way, right? That's what we, when we talk about the E in ESG, we're talking about practices that give back to the earth, right? And that also give back to people in a way that is equitable and allows them to thrive on the planet that we hope will only get better because of it. Mm. Beautiful, beautiful. Let me uh, remind our audience, this is the Why on Earth Community Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron William Perry, and today we're visiting with Jorge Fontanez, the CEO of B-Lab US and Canada, and, and maybe Puerto Rico too, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, yeah, that Puerto was Rico really, too. It's just not yeah, in the name. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm really excited to ask you about your recent trip. Um, I want to be sure to mention folks uh, can find a lot of information uh, from Jorge and his team at uh, usca.bcorporation.net. And we have a handful of different links that we'll provide in the show notes regarding um, work going on with B the B-Lab community broadly, the certification process itself. Um, uh, we'll give you the link where you can sign up for the Be The Change newsletter. And of course, uh, we want to be sure to encourage folks to like and follow uh, the Be The Change and B-Lab movements throughout the social realm. Um, and uh, so I don't forget, and, and we can come back to this too, if we want to speak in more detail about it, there's a gathering in Vancouver, Canada, uh, March of the coming year, 2024, and folks can uh, look in, at info and, and sign up for that uh, through one of the links as well. I want to be sure too to thank some of our partners and sponsors who make our Why on Earth Community podcast series possible, as well as our other culture, economy, and ecology regeneration renaissance work. And this includes uh, Chelsea Green Publishing. You can get a 35% discount on all of their books and audiobooks using the code YOE35. Um, the easiest way to get to all of these special partner offers, by the way, is at whyonearth.org. On our partner and sponsor page, there's links for all of this. Uh, Purium Organic Superfoods, uh, they're offering wonderful uh, first-time discounts as well. Waylay Water Soaking Salts, Earth Hero Sustainable Products, Soil Works Biodynamic Gardening Preparations, Earth Coast Productions, and of course, our many ambassadors worldwide who make our work possible and, and who have joined our monthly giving program. If you haven't yet joined our monthly giving program you'd like to you, you can join at any level uh, that works for you at our on our donate button on the whyonearth.org site and if you'd like to give at the 33 dollars a month or higher we'll be happy to send you as a thank you a jar of the waylay waters biodynamically and regeneratively grown hemp infused aromatherapy soaking salts to help you with your well-being practices and in the midst of all of this beautiful work that's happening and uh, so many, many thanks to everybody uh, making this happen. I want to give a special shout out also to 1% uh, for the planet. Of course, Kate Williams has been on the podcast. And I know there's a lot of overlap between the B 
uh, corp community and the 1% community. And we spoke about this with Nathan Stuck recently in the podcast episode we did with him for his uh, consulting company, um, Profitable, Profitable Purpose Consulting. And um, maybe we can speak about that a little as well, Jorge. But first, I, I, I definitely want to ask you, tell us about your your recent trip to Puerto Rico and, and some of it sounds like there's some exciting news and developments just in the last several days that uh, you might be able to share with us. Yes. Yes. Thanks, Aaron. Um, uh, and I just want to make it easy for you and, and your audience too. We are bcorps.com gets you to our site and all of our resources. Um, sometimes it's hard to follow all the, our URL speak. We are bcorps.com. Uh, yes. So, uh, I am of the Puerto Rican diaspora. Uh, I was born in Philadelphia. My parents are from Puerto Rico and um, their parents were born there. And as far as I know, all of the generations before uh, were there for four centuries. Uh, and I am just returning from Puerto Rico where we are excited to be partnering with organizations there on the ground that include the Puerto Rico Science Trust and their programs that are um, also all about creating community. They're creating an ecosystem for entrepreneurs and small business. They're called Comena Sintiseis, Parallel 18, uh, and Fase Uno. Uh, and it's, you know, it's, a really, it's really interesting to, to think about what's going on in Puerto Rico. For me, the, this work is, gosh, this work is overwhelming, right? When we think about the bold ambitions that we in particular B-Lab have to create economic systems change. But Puerto Rico gives me that lens through which it all feels more possible. You know, the history of imperialism and colonialism is, is very much the history of Puerto Rico. The history of extractive and exploitative capitalism is very much the history of Puerto Rico. The optimism that I feel that you have sensed also in this call is also the story of Puerto Rico, where on the ground, there are, um, you know, those of us outside the diaspora are playing our role. But in on the island, there are Puerto Ricans very much interested in ways in which they can use their agency and in particular use business as a force for good, which is our our mantra to change the way that Puerto Rico has, uh, you know, operated uh, and with the lens of regeneration, with the lens of doing so in a more equitable way. Uh, next month, we're going to be launching the first uh, sort of early chapter of what we call Be Locals. There are 30 chapters of self-organized B Corp leaders around the country in the US and Canada. And in Puerto Rico, it's really interesting because we only have one certified B Corp. They happen to be a law firm. Um, and so they're starting as a community with the commitment to certify 25 companies in the next year. It's called um, uh, Empresas de Información de Puerto Rico. So basically like B Corp's information. And um, and we'll be providing support uh, for them to ensure that they have what they need in order to make it over the next year uh, to hopefully certify those 25 B Corps. 
Um, so that's what's happening on the island. That all launches in September. There's actually an open call to businesses on the island uh, to apply to become part of that uh, cohort. And um, yeah, it's been, I think a couple of things that I'm learning now, having been on the ground, is that um, there is a real optimism and hope on the island uh, for business to play a role in the next chapter of uh, Puerto Rico, uh, not only in terms of improving its economy, but also to affect the infrastructure under which business operates and, and hopefully at some point um, the, the business rules uh, under which business operates too. Oh, it's so great to hear. It's so exciting to hear. I, I hope we'll be able to keep up and track some of these developments in Puerto Rico specifically in the coming months and years. And uh, of course, want to say happy birthday. You were down there in oh. part also celebrating your birthday. And, and we discovered before recording that we're both bicentennial babies. So that's no mystery there. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. I mean, hey, look, it's the age of information, right? Um, but but yeah, it's 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 just wonderful to have this uh, this sense of camaraderie. And, and I think with many of the folks in the movement, many of the leaders, many of the others uh, connected to the companies, there, there's this real sense of camaraderie, community. And I know especially for entrepreneurs and executives and organizational leaders, that, that's a really important dimension of life, right? Because often uh, the work we're, we're doing that we're engaged in can, can leave us feeling a bit uh, depleted or isolated or lo even lonely at times, right? And so I, I love that there's such a strong sense of uh, camaraderie and, and community among and between the many folks involved in this movement. And I'm curious if you might tell us a little more about how that shows up with these self-organizing regional communities, because that sounds so exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I want to speak to this word movement, right? Because it's, it's it's a word that we do use to refer to the community. And um, in order to embody uh, movement building, we must always be in action, right? And so the way that that shows up in the community is that we have, oh gosh, um, I'm now losing track. 30 plus networks. So I've mentioned the Be Locals, 30 chapters of Be Locals that are place-based networks. But we also have um, industry-based networks as well as identity-based networks and, and um, other networks about that are all about um, sort of sector best practice sharing. So um, We the Change is cultivating community amongst women in uh, B Corp, B Corp women uh, and helping us really speak to gender equity in our movement. Uh, we have a black indigenous and people of color network that similarly helps to hold us accountable to our, our anti-racism commitments and help us uh, and support us and partner with us even more importantly in ensuring that we uh, create products and services with equitable access in mind. Um, and that includes people with disabilities and veterans and LGBTQ identifying folks. Um, and then we have, uh, I mentioned industry-based networks um, that are uh, also from a functional perspective. So there's a marketer's network and a procurement network and um, 
And then from an industry perspective, um, one of the um, most recently launched sector-based networks is called the B Corp Beauty Coalition. And that one happens to be global in scope and their commitments are super clear and impactful. You know, they're coming, they're coming together uh, from within the sector to share best practices around uh, green packaging and better supply chains, right? Um, we also have our collectives, which are part of our movement building and our climate work really does, um, uh, is is probably our best example of where this is happening. Uh, our B Corp Climate Collective has, for some time now, um, brought on 1,800 and growing companies onto net zero commitments, and they're coming together to ensure that they um, meet those goals and hold themselves accountable to uh, re removing greenhouse gases from from the from the climate. Um, and uh, uh, the B Corp Climate Collective, you know, is also supporting us in the next evolution of our work, which is really shifting from a focus on um, the environment to justice, right? To acknowledge the historical harms that business in particular has played to create injustices because of the decisions that business actors have played uh, in um, sourcing um, from, you know, marginalized and uh, uh, underrepresented communities who now uh, are affected greatly by the impact of big industry um, from a health perspective and from an economic perspective, as well as other, other ways in which this shows up. And so the work of the B Corp Climate Collective is really deeply partnering and having the work be locally informed by uh, frontline community members, climate justice uh, and social justice organizers who can also help, help keep us accountable to the ways in which we're looking to solve for his environmental racism by ensuring that the solutions that we're bringing forward are centered in justice. And so there's a lot of work that we need to continue to do here. But um, those are the examples of the movement in action. So exciting. I I got to ask, for, for those of us who aren't uh, in leadership positions in, in companies, how can we get involved? How do we help support and, and connect to this, all of this amazing work that's being done? Yeah. Well, you know, employees of companies that are not B Corps are some of the, uh, it's, it's probably the top reason why companies come to us to seek certification because their employees are looking for a new way of being, of working. And our standards offer a framework for companies to get started. And you know, we think we've removed barriers to access really for any company to go into our assessment uh, and uh, evaluate whether or not they can or want to, or would be able to achieve certification. But even without that prospect, 
I want to come back to the 250,000 companies that have actually used our assessment. We believe to assess themselves, right? We know that, um, so we didn't talk about the certification and the scoring, but right today, a B Corp, in order to be certified across the five segments that we discussed earlier, must build a score at a minimum of 80. From all the data that we have submitted from the 250,000, what we've learned is that the average score is something like 50 to 56. Mm-hmm. And so we that's a, another validation point that B Corps are exceptional because most companies don't overcome that hurdle. And so, but let's not focus on the score because by nature of completing the assessment, a company can very quickly understand where the gaps are. And to the extent that they are interested in improving their supply chain efforts or improving their commitments to diversity and inclusion and their employee base, uh, or looking at how to improve um, uh, transparency to their customers. Um, There is a lot to be learned in the assessment itself. Uh, And so I would say that anyone who works within a company um, can use our assessment as a starting point. Wonderful. That's so great. I got to ask, okay, this is, this is maybe a little bit of a a nerdy question. And and, and then certainly we can, uh, Let's nerd, out, Aaron. Let's nerd out. I'm here. <laughs> I know we're going to do a special behind the scenes chat also that our ambassadors have access to with our ambassador resources. And so, again, folks, if, if you haven't joined our ambassador network and you'd like to, one of the many benefits is uh, getting access to some of our to all of our behind the scenes chats that we have with many of our guests after our main podcast interviews. And uh, Jorge, knowing knowing we'll do that soon. Um, I want to ask, because I'm, I'm really curious from a macroeconomic perspective here, it's, it's notable that you've worked at Alcoa, Colgate, Palmolive, and J.P. Morgan Chase, right? These are not small companies. These, these are some of the behemoths making up the Fortune 500, Fortune 1000. And I know also that most of our jobs in the economy, at least as far as I understand it, are in small and medium-sized businesses. And it's my impression that many and perhaps most of the B-certified companies thus far tend to be small and mid-cap companies, small and medium-sized companies looking at the full spectrum. And I'm really curious, like, I, I want to ask you what, do you, what do you see happening with the largest companies, the Fortune 500, Fortune 1000, large cap companies out there in the in the coming years, vis-a-vis ESG broadly, and also potentially vis-a-vis the B certification itself. Yeah. So for context, just to geek out a little bit on the data. So I talked about you know the thousands of companies that are certified uh, in our region. of them are small and medium enterprises. We we classify that as being under $100 million in revenue. And when you take a closer look, you know, even um, about 40% of our community is less than 5 million. And then, you know, if you look at the micro businesses, you you realize that um, our movement and our community is very much fueled by the energy of small business which are, by the way, the job creators, right? Um, Net job creators in, at least in the U.S. context. Um, and, and that's, 
that that information, that data is important for us to recognize and respect because without small business, without companies operating in their regions, uh, I don't know that we would be able to call ourselves a movement because a movement must also be locally relevant. Right. When we talk about the again, these like bold ambitions that we have for systems change, some of us might our minds might leap to what's happening in Washington, D.C. Well, what's happening in Washington, D.C. isn't always necessarily relevant to the average person. We're trying and working to make this relevant to the average person working in their community. And what I what I believe is true and what we've seen, especially over the last two years, is that. B Corp CEOs are and leaders are using their platform to engage in a different conversation locally. And that has the ability to influence the larger enterprises and multinationals uh, to engage in the conversation. And that's exactly what we've seen happen in this movement is we've we've seen the sort of you know I might I'm going to use the word grassroots um but sort of this like this grass this groundswell that's the word I want to use this groundswell that really has been driven by small business that has now uh reached a level of awareness by which now large enterprise companies and multinationals are looking at the at this and saying oh you know there's something here for us to address now, what does this look like? I want to um, come back to some points that you've raised, which is the 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 rigor behind certification, which only increases due to the size and complexity of larger companies and multinational companies. So, to go on this journey uh, is a multi-year effort in some cases, and so. Examples of that in our community, Danone famously has been certifying its subsidiaries around the world. They're about 70% done. Danone North America sits in our region. And that's very exciting. Um, and it's, you know, it's 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 a multi-year effort. Um, and what I believe is that the commitment of multinationals like Danone um, like Unilever, like Sanofi Pharmaceuticals that just certified in our region can be transformative. We need the resources of small and big business to be at play to create the kind of economic systems change that we're dreaming of. Um, and so we're at a really interesting sort of growth phase uh, at B-Lab because demand for certification doubled, you know, tripled in a very short period of time. The growth of the number of B Corps has also tripled in size uh, in just the last few years. And what that means is that, and what we're seeing is greater interest from larger and larger companies. And that's just exciting. But I want to come back to the point that it's necessary for, for multinational companies in particular, whose supply chains likely are the very own companies that are also already changing their business practice, whether or not they're a B Corp or not, not a B Corp. And, and the last point I'll make is that this movement needs to be inclusive. And I say that intentionally because 
we're not here to try and get every company to become a B Corp because if we if we were, we would never achieve and realize our mission, mm-hmm. our vision. Instead, where where we're going next is to to look for good ways to expand who is part of our movement because i think it's just as beneficial to get more companies to adopt a better business practice than it is to try and get every company to become a certified b corp and i guess i should caveat that as that's my point of view <laughs> love it <laughs> I love it. Well, look, I, I'm so thrilled. We, we've had this opportunity to chat today and I know we've got uh, a little more time together for our behind the scenes, uh, segment. Um, and before signing off of our main podcast interview, Jorge, I just, I want to, first of all, thank you for, for being, uh, on the podcast. And, and secondly, I, I want to, open the floor to you if there's if there's anything else you'd like to say or anything we didn't get to that you want to get to um please the 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 floor is all yours yeah you know i i want to say that um you know well you you extended the invitation uh for your audience to join us at champions retreat which is uh what's coming up in march of 2024 in vancouver british columbia um and and what i want to say is that um even for me being in this seat now for two years um it wasn't until i got to be in person in community that we all need right you know uh, we're seeing, you know, historic concert level attendance uh, these days, and I think that 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 also goes for for our retreat, um, the last one we held in, in Philadelphia. And and you know, I guess my point is to say, like, you don't really know what's happening here until you experience it. And I really hope that more uh, of your audience, to the extent that there's curiosity about what B Corps are doing to is to reach out to a local, their nearest local chapter, <laughs> right? From New York to Portland to um, Texas is in formation and Austin, Dallas, Houston. Um, I'll be at Build Southeast. You mentioned Nathan Stuck, who's a real champion of our work, who leads Be Local Georgia. Uh, we'll be in, um, I'll be along with a number, a number of my team members in Raleigh, North Carolina uh, next month. So you know, we're taking this on the road is, I guess, my point uh, in hopes that um, in knowing, actually, not just in hope, but in knowing that being in community is really important. Um, and I just uh, invite your your audience to to do the same and, and to, to find us because we're we're out there. Beautiful. Well, it's so wonderful having this opportunity to visit with you today, Jorge. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. Yeah. Thank you, Aaron. I really appreciate what you're doing here. And I've uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. Same here, Jorge. Thank you. The Why on Earth Community Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series is hosted by Aaron William Perry, author, thought leader, and executive consultant. The podcast and video recordings are made possible by the generous support of people like you. To sign up as a daily, weekly, or monthly supporter, please visit whyonearth.org support. Support packages start at just $1 per month.
The podcast series is also sponsored by several corporate and organization sponsors. You can get discounts on their products and services using the code WhyOnEarth, all one word with a Y. These sponsors are listed on the whyonearth.org backslash support page. If you found this particular podcast episode especially insightful, informative, or inspiring, please pass it on and share it with a friend whom you think will also enjoy it. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support. And thank you for being a part of the Why on Earth community.